surprise guest? I, I don't know these things. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making it up. Oh, okay. Because that, that's usually like a setup to some sort of skit. Like we may have a surprise guest, and then somebody runs in the, in the back with a clown costume on or something like that. I'm not that creative. That's, yeah. That's usually like a VBS type announcement, and Caleb has done a number of them. What? Oh, who's this? What? Who's this? What? This isn't planned at all. Well, do you look at that? Okay. Well, welcome. We're continuing the Life Together in the Kingdom of Love series. We're going to talk this morning about the art of humility. But before we do that, we are going to do our opening prayers and scripture readings like we do every week. And uh, just... Before we begin, this week in the liturgical church calendar is actually Trinity Sunday. So it's a Sunday where for hundreds of years the church has remembered and celebrated that our God is triune God. We talked about that a little bit a few weeks ago when we did um, talked about God being love. But yeah, this is Trinity Sunday, so that's going to influence some of our prayers this morning. I added in a little bit, it's a little bit longer than we usually do, um, just because I was excited to celebrate it. So. Um, I've already asked Dad and Caleb to do the scripture readings, and so you'll see them up on the screen when we when we when it's time. As usual, for these written prayers that we're praying together, if it's italicized, that's something I'm going to lead out with, and if it's boldened, and that's something that we all read together. And so we got a lot of we got a lot of joint reading this morning. So just beware. Let's begin. Let's pray. O Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory Glory to the the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Let's sing this hymn to the Trinity together. Holy, 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 Lord God. these words together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, whose kingdom shall have no end, who died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried, and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. We bind unto ourselves the name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three, of whom all nature hath creation. Eternal Father, Spirit, Word, praise to the Lord of our salvation. Salvation is of Christ the Lord. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
Blessed be God forever. So let's read our scripture passages this morning. Uh, Dad is going to read from the Psalms, and Caleb's going to read from the Gospel. O Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced, or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced, but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love, for you are merciful, O Lord. The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. All right. From Mark 10. And Jesus called to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for men. Holy God, source and sovereign, you put all power and authority into the hands of Christ, Christ who washes our feet in humble service. Teach us to love one another as Christ has loved us, so that everyone will know that we are his disciples. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. And now let us pray with confidence as our Savior has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay. So, like I said a minute ago, we are talking this morning about what, I, what I've titled the art of humility. So just as a recap, the last few weeks we've been talking about different aspects of our life together as a community. We can talk about loving each other and talk about the commandment that Jesus gave us to love one another as he loved us. But practically speaking, what does that mean and what does it look like in real time when we really love each other? We're continuing on that this morning and we're going to be talking about humility. I could have also titled this lesson, The Way of Downward Mobility. Way of Downward Mobility which we're going to get into in a little bit. I'm just going to warn you up front. um, I'm pretty passionate about this subject, and so I may get on a few soapboxes, but hopefully in my soapboxes I will not be lifted up in pride since we're talking about humility. And that's the joke, right? When you talk about humility, you say, if you ask God for patience, what's going to happen? There's going to be a situation that requires patience of you that's going to make you lose your mind. And if you ask God to make you more humble, well, how do you get humble? By being humiliated. humiliated. So there's always a certain trepidation, I think. And I say that as a joke that we tell. But 
there's actually a little truth to it. Sometimes we're afraid to ask God for some of these qualities because we're like, we think that maybe God is just waiting for one of these requests where he's like, oh, you prayed to be humble. I've just had this whole bucket full of humiliation waiting to, to pour out on you to make you miserable. And that's not the case. We don't have to be afraid to ask God to conform us to the image of Jesus. It may be uncomfortable. It may not be 100% pleasant. But if, it's, but if God has chosen it as the way, then it's for our good. We can always be confident. And even if that from time to time involves being humiliated, as all of us have been, we can look at that, um, that, that experience not just as a thing to to worry about or to wish we'd done something differently or to be uh, embarrassed about, but as a teacher, as an opportunity to grow. So I just want to throw that out there before we begin, that we can all pray for humility because humility is the way of Jesus, and it's the way that he's called us to walk. So I want to begin by a pa- with, with reading a passage that is probably one of, if not the most clear example of the humility of Jesus, uh, at least outside of the Gospels, in the epistles. You're probably all familiar with this from Philippians 2. Just listen to these words. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Just as a side note, I love the way that it's phrased there, because it's like, have this mind, and it's already yours. It's not something you have to go find. This is part of what's been gifted to you um, in Christ by the Holy Spirit, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, like we did this morning, to the glory of God the Father. So this is the way of Jesus. It is the way of service. It's the way of humility. Um, This morning, I want us to explore four different aspects of Christ-like humility. Um, Because humility is not only, I mean, we think of humility as being humiliated. And like I said, there may be a a time when when that's the case. But humility is something that we actively do and participate in. So these are four things. uh, No list is ever exhaustive. But I think this is a pretty good snapshot of what it looks like to live and walk in Christ-like humility. So we're going to look at these four things. And then we're going to close out with song. Um, So the first thing, these are things that, the first thing is that humility involves thinking rightly about yourself. Thinking rightly about yourself. C.S. Lewis has a famous quote where he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. 
which is a little turn of phrase that I think is actually helpful. Because sometimes when we think about being humble or we think about having a humble frame of mind, we think that that involves hating ourselves. That like being humble is saying, I'm no good. I can't do anything right. And that somehow that makes other people happy or that it makes God happy. I don't think so. Not for one minute. Because God wants us to flourish as he has created us, operating in the giftings that he has given us, not just for our benefit, but for the sake of our brothers and sisters and for the sake of the world that he so loves. Um, And self-hatred is a a barrier to that. Like self-hatred actually keeps us focused on ourselves, not on others. And that's that's like the paradoxical thing. Like we think, oh, if I'm tearing myself down, somehow that's lifting other people up. But if I'm tearing myself down, what am I, who am I focused on? I'm focused on me. I might not be saying, I'm awesome, I'm the best, but I'm focused on me. So, um, but, but thinking rightly about ourselves is to cease being overly preoccupied with ourselves at the expense of others. Not self-hatred, but measured thinking. So humility rejects both ego-driven conceit on the one hand and self-hatred on the other. To be humble is not to say, hey, everybody, I'm the best thing ever, but it's, not all, it's, it's also not to say, hey, everybody, I'm the worst thing ever. Um, it's to have an accurate and measured view of yourself. You don't have to, t- this, is, this is something that I've tried to, uh, I think hopefully learning more over the last few years. You don't have to tear others down to lift yourself up. And, con- and conversely, you don't have to tear yourself down to lift others up. So what does it mean, besides what we little bit I just shared, what does it mean to think rightly about yourself? Any ideas? Any thoughts on that? I got a few, but I want to give you a chance first. What does it mean to think rightly about yourself? We're uncomfortable thinking about ourselves and talking about ourselves, especially in church. It's like, oh, I don't want to take up too much space here. But what does it mean to think rightly about yourself? I guess to understand who you are. To understand who you are, yeah. Absolutely. And when you look in the mirror and think, God made you. You're going to face this day. You're going to have trials. Mm-hmm. But look in the mirror and say, you've got this. I can do all things yeah. in the past. There strength. you go. Look in the mirror and go with it. Yeah. Would you talk to anybody else in the world the way that you talk to yourself? <laughs> Would you sit there on, across the table from someone and be like, you're so stupid, you're so stupid, you're so stupid, or whatever it is, you know, the little loops that we get. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. And you wouldn't talk that way. And I think about it with my kids. And sometimes when I see those kind of tendencies in one of my kids in particular, like my heart just breaks to see him like, buddy, you don't have to do that, you know? And I think God feels that way about us. So I would say one thing that, that I thought of that it means to think rightly about yourself just off, off the top is to not be full of yourself. This is kind of what we've already said in not being preoccupied. Uh, Romans 12:3 says, For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In the New Living Translation, it says it this way, Don't think you're better than you really are. 
Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. And that's the key, honesty. Measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. So this particular passage in Romans actually goes on to talk about how there are many members that form one body. Um, that each of those members have different functions, yet all belong to each other. So it's not just about having a right self-concept. Um, it's about the health of the body and the health of community. So there's something in this idea of thinking rightly about yourself that, that leads to building up others and building up the community. Because without humility, think about what a group of people without humility would look like, where there's absolutely no humility. So there's some combination of some people who are just doing nothing but hating themselves, and there's some people that are doing nothing but lifting themselves up. Is that a healthy community? Is it? No, it's not. Without humility, our community and our fellowship will begin to decay, and it may even die. It's, it's really important. Uh, Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing. Welcome. Oh, <laughs> Glad you're here. I get to be in here this day. Yay. All right. Get a reprieve. Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, once again, this is not self-hatred, but it's other-centered sacrificial love. Other-centered sacrificial love. And so think about this. We just talked about what would it look like in a, in a group of people without humility. What would it look like if everyone in a community consistently considered others as more significant than themselves? If everybody did that, would anybody be left out? Like, would anybody be isolated? Would anybody be left alone? You know, I mean, we're human, so we probably figure some way to mess it up a little bit, but I don't think so. There's a story that I read to, to my kids the other night that I think illustrates this very well. Um, you may have heard some form of it. The title of the story was Heaven and Hell. And so the picture was um, this person asked to see both heaven and hell. And he went up to heaven. And in heaven, there's a group of people around a table, and the table was piled high with delicious food, like every delicious food that you could possibly imagine. Actually, I said that backwards. First, he went down to hell. And the, but it was just a banquet, so he was thinking, maybe I'm not in the right place. But after observing for a few minutes, he noticed that this table was full of delicious food, but nobody had like elbow joints in their arms, and so like nobody could bend their arms. And so everybody was trying desperately to feed themselves without, and I told this story to the kids, and they were like, well, uh, they had some, some <laughs> solutions, but I'm like, that's not the point of the story. You know, you could just eat or whatever, but follow me. So they couldn't feed themselves because their arms wouldn't bend. And so this, uh, the, at next, this person went to heaven. Same scene, table piled high with every delicious food you could possibly imagine. And once again, nobody could bend their arms. So what, what gives? But the difference here is instead of trying to feed themselves, everyone was feeding each other. So everyone was taken care of, everyone ate to the full. And I think that that little parable illustrates just how radical a shift in thinking can make uh, a difference in our community. So this is one thing that, um, that it means to think rightly about yourself. Uh, the second thing that I identified is honestly acknowledging both your successes and failures. So like you mentioned, we may be okay with honestly admitting 
our failures, you know, because we feel like somehow we're doing other people a, a service by doing that. But we have to have an honest view of both our successes or our giftings and our failures and our lack. Because we remember, we need each other. And if we're not honest about it, if we're all we're doing is trying to maintain this veneer of perfection or have it togetherness, we will never admit our need to one another and we will never have the benefit or the joy of someone else coming alongside us and meeting the need that we have. And we won't have that joy of being able to provide it to someone else either. So thinking rightly about yourself includes honestly acknowledging both your successes and failures. Um, to think rightly about yourself also includes recognizing and acknowledging that you have limits. So maybe in this room this isn't a problem, but like, do you have any problem admitting that you have limits? Sometimes? Okay. Yeah. What are the ways that we like to not admit even to ourselves that we have limits? Any Anybody? I think for me it's um, not acknowledging the limits of the things that I can do, even like things that are good and helpful things. Like I can really quickly um, sign up for way too many things that mm-hmm. both I and my family can handle. And so yeah. there's, a, there's a transition between, you know, what I could do when I was young and single and then what I can do now. And that for me, that's a constant battle. Ah, so season of life. Limits yeah. that comes to season of life. Yeah. Oh, yes. Just, <laughs> just wait. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm here with open ears ready to learn. <laughs> no, it's, I just, mean, you know, that's a, it's, a, it's a real deal in my life on, on almost daily basis. I walk around and I still think that I'm like 21 years old. Mm-hmm. And I can do anything, and I'm invincible, and I'm, yep. I'm not, am I there? I'm broken, <laughs> you know. Yep. I'm old. Yeah. I know, I know. So your body has limits. Yeah. Um, your mind has limits. Uh, your schedule has limits. Your um, talents have limits, you know? Um, so that's part of recognizing that you have limits, but how about also, like, Acknowledging that you're probably wrong about some stuff. Like, I feel pretty strongly about all my opinions because I wouldn't have them if I didn't, you know? And I will say, hypothetically speaking, I know I don't know everything. And I know I can, you know, learn from others. But, like, deep down, there's a part of me that's like, I know, you know? Like, I know what's going on here. Spare me the, uh, spare me the lecture. I know what's going on here. So thinking rightly about ourselves is recognizing that we're probably wrong about some stuff and that we can learn from others. Romans 12:16 says, never be wise in your own sight. And that New Living translates that, don't think you know it all. That's a pretty good motto to have, especially when we're interacting with people who are radically different from us, who believe different from us, who look different from us, who talk different from us, to acknowledge that we don't know it all. Albert Einstein said that a true genius admits that he or she knows nothing. Um, And he knew a lot, so (laughs) I think he knows what he's talking about. Um, The most important thing about this kind of humble posture of mind and heart enables us to really listen, to not just wait for our turn to talk, to not just think that we already have people figured out from the first time that we see them, which we do, we think, I know what they're all about. But to listen, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, to be open to the possibility of being surprised (coughs) by other people. So finally, on this this notion of thinking rightly about yourself as part of humility, it includes thinking rightly about God. Um, Thinking rightly about God and 
is absolutely essential for thinking rightly about ourselves. James 4 says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's not that God hates the proud, but the proud are not in a position to receive what God has to give. Just like the proud are not in a position to receive what 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 other people have to give them because their hands are not open. They've already got it figured out and they're not ready to receive. We pray this in the Lord's Prayer. We prayed it this morning. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's his way, not ours. We have to be regularly reminded of that when we are tempted to try to set up and enforce our own little kingdom where other people do what we want them to do. That includes our kids. (laughs) And they don't always, (laughs) lo and behold. So this posture of thinking rightly about God as, as the king, whose kingdom is is what our lives are centered around, leads us to humility, but also to dependence on him and trust. Sometimes being humiliated is just the thing that helps promote dependence and trust in God. So so moving along, so that's the first thing of what I identified as part of what it means to live a life of humility. The second thing, besides thinking rightly about yourself, is it involves serving serving others. Um, As in all things, our example for serving others is Jesus himself. In John 13, we read, uh, again, one of the best pictures of this. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. I just find it interesting that when, when you read John and he like feels the need to give all these qualifying statements, like, just so you know what's really going on here. With all that in mind, he knew the Father had given all these things to into his hands and that he's going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For if I, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So Jesus is our example in humbly serving others. And some of you may know that in this time, the act of washing feet was something that was done by the lowest servant. People who were important um, would not wash feet. Jesus demonstrated, I'm going to bring this phrase out again, the path of downward mobility that said, there is no job that is too low for me. I, you call me Lord and teacher, and that's good because I am. And I'm washing your feet. I am taking the lowest place in this social setting, and I'm going right to it. That had to be really difficult to let Jesus in. Well, we know Peter didn't, didn't really like it too much. And Jesus said, this house got to be Peter. So that's what it looks like to humbly serve others, to be willing to take this lowest position, to go 
to go um, to go down, down further. Um, and this involves looking out for other people's needs, first of all, and not just your own. Philippians 2, which we read at the beginning, says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Um, an author we quote a lot in this class, Jean Vanier, said, A community is only truly a body when the majority of its members is making the transition from the community for myself to myself for the community. It's not that our needs don't matter, because they do. You have to let other people take care of your needs, and you have to take care of yourself as well. But not only that. Don't look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And to do that, you have to be creative. Like You have to be attentive to see what are the needs. Sometimes we get so – I do. I get so locked in into my problems and my pain that it's hard for me to see anything else. But there's n there is nothing in the world that can – has the potential to unlock your preoccupation with yourself, like seeing, truly seeing another person's need, being moved with compassion and stepping in to help maybe meet the need or just be present, not to fix, not to give advice, not to do anything other, to just, other than to just be there. That's part of what it looks like to serve one another in humility. Another part of humbly serving others involves giving up our own power, privilege, or status. Again, the best example of this is Jesus. Remember from Philippians 2, Paul describes Jesus um, as having given up his power and divine privileges of emptying himself for our sakes. Thank God he did. Um, a, a, a guy... Um, named Eberhard Arnold, who was part, I think, was the founder of um, an intent, oh, what is that called? Some intentional um, Anabaptist community said this. He said, this is the root of grace, the dismantling of our own power, only to the, to the degree that all our own power is dismantled will God be able to give the fruits of the Spirit and build up his kingdom through us, in us, and among us. There is no other way. This notion of giving up privilege, of giving up status, and of giving up power for the sake of others is something that runs very counter to a lot of narratives that we continuously bump up against. Can you think of any cultural, societal, or even religious narratives that are in opposition to this notice of giving up power? Like, First of all, does it seem weird? Maybe not weird, maybe. Does it seem countercultural to give up your privileges or your rights or your power? Why? Why do you think that seems so countercultural? Anybody? Because, like, our whole society is based on power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Getting to the top. Yeah. That's right. Who gets the stuff? The people who already have the stuff. You know, the, who gets the stuff? The people who are in a position of power. What do you want to do? I mean, what what do a lot of people want to do? They want to be a, a, they want to have a successful life where they build maybe not not so grandiose as their own kingdom, but at least build out a space um, where they're in control. And and the way of Jesus is to give that up. So you see how that is just part and parcel with a life of trust. The only way that you can give up your power and your privilege 
is that if you trust that your father knows what you need and that he's looking out for you and that the Jesus who called you is with you every step of the way. Those things work together, trust and the giving up of power. So that, you have something to add. Just one thing. Um, I think in, in this world, if you have a gifting and you're good at it, mm-hmm. it's going to send you this way, send you up the corporate ladder. Uh, right. That's going to mean that you're going to have more possessions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like Jesus is saying, and I think to me this is the motivation for this, where it says, have this mind in you, which was yep. also in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we say we want, well, make it more blunt. Sometimes I say I want to be like Jesus, and then I read something, and something's going on in my life, and I thought, Lord, I don't want any of this stuff. And he said, I thought you wanted to be like me. You know? <laughs> this is the way. And, yeah, and this is, like you said, downward mobility. Mm-hmm. And in this, it seems like, okay, we are given a gift, but if you have a gift, it's not for you to go up. It's for you to go this yeah. way and serve right. others. And also... There's something in this, the motivation, that one of another reason we do that, Jesus did it to model it for the people who follow them. We right. do it to model it for the people who follow us. That may be our children, mm-hmm. that may be people. Right. You know, when you're the boss, everybody's supposed to serve you. Um, the boss is the one who they make the coffee for. Mm-hmm. You know, the boss is the one that they yeah. bring the brownies for, or the pastries, mm-hmm. or the boss gets the extra attention. But when the boss does it and does something for some when the boss makes the coffee and you know, when goes when he goes down the chain of command, so to speak, it models the kingdom of God, how it's supposed to be gifts are given to minister, not to go up that way. That's right. Yeah. And so that's a really good question to ask ourselves. Is my knowledge and learning lifting up only myself? Or am I using that to lift up others? Are my gifts and abilities only making me, putting me in a position of prominence? Or am I leveraging those things to serve others? Is my money only lifting me up and, and, and bettering my state, of, my state of living? Or am I using it to serve others? Is my time only spent on myself? Or am I leveraging it to serve others? Look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. So. This phrase, the path of downward mobility, I got that from an author named Henry Nouwen, who I would just highly recommend um, his his writings uh, that just paint just a beautiful picture of a humble life of service to the Lord and others. Uh, Nouwen said this, the story of our salvation stands radically over and against the philosophy of upward mobility. The great paradox which scripture reveals to us is that real and total freedom is only found through downward mobility. The word of God came to us and lived among us as a slave. The divine way is indeed the downward way. He also said the disciple is the one who follows Jesus on his downward path and thus enters with him into new life. The gospel radically subverts mobile society. It is a jarring and unsettling challenge. This is part of what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. It's to empty ourselves for the sake of others. Um, So that's part of how we serve each other. And that's not just true for 
like you said, it's not just true for um, for the people that we look at as, oh, well, well, they're not yet prominent. They haven't yet built up a reputation for themselves. It is true all the way to the top. It's true of leadership in the kingdom of God, which is so radically different from leadership um, in the world. Again, Henry Nouwen says the way of the Christian leader is not the way of upward mobility in which our world has invested so much, but the way of downward mobility ending on the cross. There's a phrase from a house church leader named Felicity Dale that I, I think just captures this so well in speaking of leadership in the kingdom of God. It's no empire building, no control, and no glory. And when, when she shared that, she shared it superimposed on this picture of a woman on the floor, face down, hands with her hands outstretched in prayer. Actually, it looked like it was on the floor of a bathroom. So, like, what a picture of service. That, like, this is not for me. It's for others. So, we got to move along here. We're about done. Um, that's the second aspect of, of humility is serving others. The third part of what it looks like to live a life of humility is associating with the lowly and marginalized. Associating with the lowly and, mar- and, and marginalized. Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. The New Living says, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Henry Nouwen again says, we are taught to conceive of development in terms of an ongoing increase in human potential. Growing up means becoming healthier, stronger, more intelligent, more mature, and more productive. Consequently, we hide those who do not affirm this myth of progress, such as the elderly, prisoners, and those with mental disabilities. In our society, we consider the upward move the obvious one while treating the poor cases who cannot keep up as sad misfits, people who have deviated from the normal line of progress. Now, uh, one more quote from now, and he says that this, the way of, of, of Jesus is the way toward the poor, the suffering, the marginal, the prisoners, the refugees, the lonely, the hungry, the dying, the tortured, the homeless, toward all who ask for compassion. All who ask for compassion. So when we think about this, we're not only thinking about us as individuals, but as a community, as a church, do we prioritize those that the world considers lowly or who are pushed to the edges of society? Do we say, you may be pushed to the outside in this society, but you are valuable here. You are important here. And not only do we want to help take care of your needs, we want to learn from you. Because we need you just like you need us. Are we that kind of church? Uh, don't answer that out loud, but I want us to really think about that. Are we the kind of church that is welcoming and inclusive to people who are radically different than us? People who are different um, ethnically, people who are different socioeconomically, maybe people who are – what would we do if somebody walked in the back? Has anybody read the book In His Steps? The, um, yeah. Um, so at the beginning, there's this story – uh, the guys, it's the middle of a church service, and this guy stumbles into the back. I don't know if you've, if you've read it, you remember 
uh, and ends up, I think he pat, falls over dead in the middle of a service. So, so that, that would be a really awkward thing uh, in the middle of a church service. But the point is, is if someone came into our community um, that sort of, if not changed, at least put the agenda on pause for a minute, would we be okay with that? If someone came into this class like that, I mean, are we open in that way? And are we actively seeking out people that the world discards, saying you're valuable to God and you're valuable to us? I hope so, but the challenge is that this involves a radical overhaul of our value system. A radical overhaul of our value system. We have to see that some things are important that we may not have thought otherwise. Um, and be willing to let the Holy Spirit change our hearts and follow Jesus on this path of downward mobility where we say that our community exists not just for us, but for those outside of our community. And we as a community give up our power and our privilege and our status for the sake of serving others that are pushed to the side and that are marginalized. So the last thought on humility is that where this is all leading is that humility ultimately through all of this involves dying to self. Jean Vanier says, to love, we must die continually to our own ideas, our own susceptibilities, and our own comfort. The path of love is woven in sacrifice. The roots of egoism are deep in our unconscious. Our initial reactions of self-defense, aggression, and the search for personal gratification often grow from them. So we die to ourselves. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross of suffering, and follow me. So real quickly, what are some things that we have to die to? And think of it in the sense of our relationships with other people. Like, What do we have to die to to draw closer to people in humble service and humility? I think in a few of the um, object lessons, or in a few of the instances that you talked about, even in the parables that we see in the life of Jesus, that uh, like this often becomes comes in the form of an interruption, right? Like interruption, you, yeah. yeah. Like you have a thing that you're going to do, and it could be a really good thing, uh, but it's often interrupted by you know the woman at the well, or the blind guy on the side of the road, or um, you know in, in many of the parables, it's just you know some the you know the good Samaritan, right? Like we have something that we're doing, we're in our intentions may be good or not, but um, we have to be open to the, the fact that those plans could be changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being interrupted. So what else? What do we have to die to in ourselves to grow in love for others and humility? Our own ambition. Okay, our own ambition. Our own security. Okay, our security. Uh, yeah. Yeah, loving the marginalized might put you in a position where you don't feel 100% secure, you know. Yeah. How about our ego? Like. That one's got it. That's that's like that's the that's the first one. That's the first thing that's got to go. And we spend our whole lives trying to crucify that darn ego. Um, how about our need to be right? Our need to be right because we obviously we know we're right. I mean, <laughs> we give up our privileges of being right for the sake of others, you know. But our need to be right, our, and not only our need to be right, but our need to have to convince other people that they're wrong. What if we could begin to let that go? Not that there's not a time to confront, but what if we could begin to let that go so that we could grow in humility and love of others? Our need to be in control. 
How annoying is it when other people didn't exactly sign up for your, the wonderful plan you have for their life? <laughs> our need to be in control. Dad said ambition, so yeah, our, our need to succeed. Um, <laughs> guess what? Nobody else signed up for that, even your kids. They didn't sign up for your program of, of self-fulfillment through ego. Um, and one thing that's finally I would say that might be a particularly insidious thing for Christians um, it's an easy trap to fall into, I should say, is our hero complex. We have to die to our hero complex, thinking that it's our job to save everybody and to fix everybody. We have to let that go. And that sometimes when we open our hands to let that need to save others, which oftentimes comes with a preloaded collection of things that we already think that they need, to let go of our need to be a hero is to be able to step humbly into another person's situation and to pay attention to what they actually need, not what we think they need. And also to just uh, surrender ourselves to God who loves them more than we do and put take that burden off of our shoulders to save the world. Because there's only one savior and that position's filled. So these are just a few things that I think it means to walk and live in humility. Um, these are lifelong lessons, and I pray that the Holy Spirit continues to cultivate these things in us, not just in the prayer closet, but continues to push us out into situations and into relationships that require us to come face to face with these things. So let's close in prayer. We dismiss. Thank you, God, that you do not leave us where we're at. You do not leave us in the prisons of ego and self-interest, but you invite us to follow your son, Jesus, into a life of humble service, of weakness, and of humility. And in this way, we know that we find life, because life is in you, Jesus. And if you called us to something, we trust that it's the best thing that we could do. So help us where we're weak, and help us to follow you even into hard things. Strengthen us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, follow you, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 All right. You're dismissed. Oh, oh, quick programming note. Next week, um, I will be 